expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Fresh off of San Diego Comic-Con 2017, it's episode 173 of the Down and Nerdy podcast and our big recap of the show that's going to be a little bit different this year, Nick. Well, it's going to be a little bit different this year because, of course, you were there live at San Diego Comic-Con. I'm going to ask you, the first question I'm going to ask you is something I know a lot of listeners have been asking me about, a lot of people I've told this about, have laughed about it. Did you pull a Strickland at the parties you went to this year? I did not pull a Strickland Ooh! at the parties. As a matter of fact, I went Jimmy to, was social. I went to two parties, as Whoa! a matter of fact. So that's, that's, probably more, that's more than you've been to in the past ten fucking years. I will, t- I will say this, that the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund party was, was actually quite nice. It was the rooftop of a hotel. It was very, very nice. And it was funny because I went to uh, talk to our boy Tom King who was there, to went say hi to him, and he was talking to someone that at the time I didn't know as Eduardo Risso of 100 Bullets fame. And, you know, being from Argentina, I'm like, there's ne- I'm never going to probably see this dude outside of SDCC. I ended up talking to Eduardo Risso for like a half hour. He's an amazing dude. Yeah, so what did you talk to him about? Uh, he's got a new book for with Image. He's going to be doing Moonshine. Uh, for Image, his art looks great. He's doing some art for a promotional piece for an Amazon game that's going to be coming out. Um, his son's trying to be a, a dealer in the in the in the comic book business, so that that was really cool. And we were just talking. He was just asking me about the the state of the comic book industry, and we were just you know trading uh, trading stuff back and forth on that. So it was really really cool. I mean, being in Argentina, he got to tell me a little bit about the you know perspective from there and from Europe and stuff like that because he's been there. It was really really interesting. So you said you went to two parties. So was the second party the Blizzard party you went to? Yes, the second party was the Blizzard party, which was at an Irish pub, actually. Fantastic. Yeah, and it was the, it was funny because they were playing the like the Irish themed music, right? Because they were promoting Hearthstone and Knights yeah, of the Frozen Throne, expansion play, pack. Yeah, they're playing uh, Celtic music. Yeah. So at one point, I'm sitting there. I've got my drink in my hand, and I go, "Is this a Game of Thrones theme song?" <laughs> yes, it's the Game of Thrones theme song. So I told the guy from Blizzard, I said, nice touch throwing the Game of Thrones theme in there. And he's like, I didn't know they were playing that. I said, yeah, somebody did. <laughs> <laughs> well, a funny story about that, the guy that actually plays Hordor, I should say played Hordor because Hordor is dead on Game of Thrones, uh, Nairn, he's an actual DJ. So I believe they had like a Game of Thrones party or some sort of party. Our friend Ebby Darkstar, I believe, was at the party and he was DJing it. And he put like a DJ mix of the Game of Thrones theme on his playlist. Oh my God. It was fucking awesome. You know what You know what party I actually missed because I, I didn't make it after the comic legal defense phone party was Rufio from Hook was DJing at a party down the street. No shit. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I've got to get to this. But I ended up I, I ended up talking to so many people at the at the legal defense fund party. I didn't have time to go to that one. I missed the window. So I was kinda of bummed out about that, but at the same time it, it was a great time anyway. But I, I would just love to have seen Rufio in the Rufio garb up there <laughs> spinning the ones and twos. I think that would have been great. So of course this was your first time at SDCC. So, you know, you don't have to go into every single detail, but just some highlights of, you know, what was it like just touching down in San Diego for the first time? What was it like 
get into that convention center for the first time and just walk around with that badge and just what was your overall thoughts of SDCC like actually being there I mean I'm glad I went preview night and I, I would I would suggest preview night for anybody that's going for the first time just because I mean, whether you're press or not, preview night gives you that. It allows you to to shake off the "oh my god, I'm actually here" thing. You know what I mean? Like you're in awe. You can't help but be in awe. It's SDCC, you know, and and you're in awe when you first get there. So if you do preview night, it also gives you a sense if you know what the lines are going to be like at certain booths and stuff like that. It gives you a chance to walk the floor, which I did uh, a couple of times. Find out where all the all the uh, rooms are for the panels that you want to be and stuff like that. And a lot of people are already lining up for all H. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing too, is you walk around, you get that sense of, you know, you, as you mentioned, you get that jitteriness. out. it's kind of like, you know, you're playing the Super Bowl and you get those jitters, you puke before the coin toss type of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you were like walking towards hall H and you, like puked in the can before reaching hall H. But I mean, like, like what was, when you got to the convention center, the first day and the last day of SDCC, what was your mindset going into both of those days? My first day was like, oh my God, I need to find out where everybody is. <laughs> and, you know, I need to find out where DC is. I need to find out where IDW is. I need to find out where Boom is. And I actually had interviews scheduled that day, so I needed to find those booths as well. And I wanted to see, you know, like, okay, let's see who's in Artist Alley, even though they had a list. You know, you want to actually go and see, you know, you know where is the Funko booth? And where, where are all these other? Because, you know, you get thousands of emails when you're press for SDCC it's like come check out our booth come check out our booth so a couple of those I went and found as well and it was just a lot because it doesn't matter what convention you've gone to in the past and this is definitely true for conventions that we've gone to you will never experience anything else like this I'm telling you that right now I know that New York Comic Con's getting bigger and C2E2 and Emerald City guys this is just massive on a scale that it's hard to describe unless you're standing in that convention center to think that you've been walking for as long as you have and you're still not at the end. And it's just in the way that the booths, it's just like any, any other convention where there's booths and there's, you know, sections and stuff like that. And just so many rows. It's like, it would take you so long just to go up and down and really look through and look at every booth there. It's insane. Quick question before we move on to what we're reading. Did you or did you not give me my Deadpool vinyl set? They were sold out Wednesday. Motherfucker! Wednesday they sold out. I'm like, you got... Dude, They this was one of the things that people were talking about, actually, at the convention about how this is the longest lines and the most people that a lot of SDCC vets have ever seen on preview night. And people were pissed that some stuff actually got sold out on preview night there were so many things that sold out on preview night and you know not everybody got preview night because not everybody cares especially if you've already been to sdcc and maybe you don't care about preview night i'm gonna tell you right now start caring about preview night because some of the stuff that you want might be gone by the time you get there well not just that but it's also you know you're yeah remember you're a major con you're the biggest con in america possibly maybe the world i'm not even sure about that but i would say probably yes you got to know how much stuff you have to have in bulk. Like, you have to have in bulk a lot of shit, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I did get you some stuff, though. There, there's some oh. cool stuff. There, there's some exclusive stuff that I did grab for you. Oh, so you didn't give me the bike, but you maybe got me a nice pair of socks. Is there that what you're go. saying? Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go open up my presents, but come next, 
Thank you, Santa. But uh, come next, we're going to discuss all the big comic book news that came out of San Diego Comic-Con. What we're reading is we changed up a little bit, but it's coming up next. This is writer Shelley Fish, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, normally this is the time we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week, but instead, we're going to keep the long boxes where they are, and we're going to discuss books that are coming out that kind of pique our interest, and also some comic book news that came out during SDCC, James. Of course, you were there, so I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, let's start with DC Comics, because a lot of people were saying DC won Comic-Con this year, just kind of overall, not just with the comics, but so let's start with the comics. And let's talk about metal, because that's what they've been talking about a lot, and that's what Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo and the gang were all talking about. But coming out of that, we find out that in September we're going to get the Dark Knight's Rise, kind of the final versions of evil Batman they're going to be revealed. So here's the titles and creative teams that they came up with. So you've got Batman The Red Death, which is going to be on September the 20th with Joshua Williamson and Carmen D.G. Domenico. We've also got Batman The Murder Machine, which is going to come out the following week with Frank Thierry and Ricardo Fredrici. We've also got Batman The Dawnbreaker October the 4th with Sam Humphreys and our buddy Ethan Van Shriver, who's, you know, we've met at Tidewater Comic Con the very first year. Batman The Drowned Number 1 from Dan Abnett and Philip Tan. And then Batman The Merciless Number 1, which is going to be Peter J. Tomasi and Francis Manipal. Not only are those superstar creative teams for these metal titles, it just seems like the metal initiative is something that DC's really, really focused strong on this year. Well, notice what they did with these writers, and you've probably picked up on this, but The Red Death. Williamson's writing The Flash. So yep. The Flash, is he's a Scarlet Speedster, so you put him on The Red Death. Uh, you have Sam Humphreys, The Dawnbreaker, which looks to be, you know, very Green Lantern-esque, possibly. Batman, The Drown. You have Abnett, of course, is writing, uh, you know, he did the wonderful Aquaman run and, you know, wonderful Aquaman Rebirth series. And so you have him on The Drowned, and you have Peter J. Tomasi on The Merciless, so that's probably going to be maybe... The Superman version of Batman? I don't know, because you look at... They sent us the image of what they're all going to look like, and they all look like Batman versions of, you know, Justice League characters. It looks yep. pretty damn interesting. Yeah, it's going to be really, really awesome, man. I mean, if you look at the Dark Knight's Rise, like you said, that image that you have, it's it's pretty epic. And to, and to think that they were able to imagine all of that stuff out of this, it, it's really, really cool. And some of the artists that they have working on this stuff, man... I, I mean, this is just going to be so different, and I love that DC has decided to focus on that being different, but not really overdoing it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and you know, going to the DC books, the prelude to Metal has been amazing. I mean, the things that they've done with the Joker, and they're showing that evil side of Batman, and it's just, it's really much, you know, for that Batman fan who wants to be like, well, what would it be like if he was not the Dark Knight. If he was, you know, this mm. evil character. And they're giving us that. And I'm I love it. Scott's just everybody's been killing it, man. And it's funny because they're not afraid to do this. I guess that was my point, was that it's not necessarily gonna be in continuity per se, but this is something that they wanted to do and change things up a little bit. And especially with Batman, because you know, Scott's already told so many great Batman stories, whether it be, you know, from the New 52 or for the All-Star Batman run, he's told some great stories. And now you're giving even more creators the opportunity to tell those stories as well and a superstar list. And that's something that DC also said that they were going to focus on was putting these superstar teams together and keeping them together. 
And so, you know, again, you were there. So what other DC stuff do you have for our listeners? So, I mean, if you look at the panels and stuff that were happening, Frank Miller decides to crash one of the DC panels and decides to tell the, the crowd that Superman Year One is actually going to be coming. And if you've read any of the Year One comics, Batman Year One was very good. I read the first volume of that. Wonder Woman Year One, year one was really, really good as well. And there's a couple of others. These are kind of like different takes on the characters and stuff like that. And Superman has had a year one before, but we've got now a new one coming from Frank Miller. So that makes it very, very interesting. And then of course you've got Jim Lee who finally told the crowd, you know, you've been waiting for this for a while. (laughs) Yes, we have earth. M is happening. Static shock will be involved in that. A bunch of other characters. And they really, it just seemed like in every panel DC was saying, okay, we're focusing on these long-term writer-artist relationships. We're going to focus on long-term stories, so the ongoings, you're going to get that. You're not going to get a bunch of bounce around. You're going to get that longevity in the stories, which I think is what we've all been clamoring for. Well, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're a comic book reader, like, of course, we are, you want that, you know, that, that chemistry there. You want to be able to enjoy a series and not have to be like, well, 10 issues has passed, now you got a brand new team. It's like... You know, they did it with Wonder Woman. They waited, you know, 20-plus issues before changing it up. And that was smart because you give us a good amount of arc of this one team, and then you say, you know what, we're going to switch it up again, and we're going to put this team in for a longer arc. And so I like that. You know, and that's the thing that's important. It's like, a, you know, another sports analogy. You know, you have guys or women on a team who have been playing together for a while, and they get the ball going around, and they get that, that chemistry, and it's beautiful, and it looks like ballet. Whereas with this, you get the artists, you get the writers in there. They've been working on you know the same books, the same amount of time, the, these you know longer issues and stuff like that. And what happens? You get this beautiful ballet of beautiful panels and colors and art and writing and storytelling. So you get all that wonderful, wonderful thing. And, of course, there's something else that was mentioned, James, that has to do with Grant Morrison. Yep, and Grant Morrison is coming back to do Wonder Woman Earth 1. We're going to get a sequel to that. But here's the other one that people were excited about. We're going to get more Arkham Asylum, which is going to be based on the 666 storyline, which, of course, you know, that means we're going to get more Damien as Batman. And I will say that one of the things I enjoyed a couple years ago was Andy, an Andy Cooper book where it was... Uh, uh, it was a Damien book where Damien has to become Batman, and it was a great, great book. So I'm really looking forward to them bringing back Arkham Asylum. Of course, Grant Morrison's done great work with Batman in the past before, so I'm excited about this. And speaking of Damien, if are you reading the current Batman Beyond series? No, I'm not. That that is one I haven't jumped onto. I will say that because and this is not really a spoiler because the books already been out, but Damien is now the new Raish. Ooh, I like that. And I like he, that. And he pretty much, and now, right now, they're having this arc, this little battle between him and Terry, where Terry is fighting Damien in this suit. I won't get too much into it, but let's just say that Damien looks at Terry McGinnis as the pretender. See, now, if you're not reading that like I am, I, I'm now I hear that and I'm going, I gotta read this book. Dude, you know, it's and great. That's the, that's the kind of thing that I like to hear. And it's only like, I think, 10 issues. I think the 10th issue came out this week or last week. But yeah, it's really good. And they do an awesome thing in the beginning of the series with the Joker, which is awesome. I won't nice. spoil that because the reveal on that is awesome. But yeah, DC has been killing it. Speaking of another publisher that's killing it, IDW is killing it because they announced, of course, that, hey, 
everybody's favorite blue blur side the hedgehog guess what he's coming to idw and we, they're teaming up with him and he's gonna have comics coming out in 2018 under idw's editorial guidance as sega announced a new publishing partnership they haven't really talked about creative teams yet but let me tell you this just talking to the folks at idw while i was at the con they're very very excited to have sonic in the fold and to get sonic with a, you know such a legit publisher like idw is really really great and of course you do have derek charm who's working on star wars right now i think he'd be a good choice for art on this also tyson hess who's done some animation stuff for Sonic, who's done uh, work with other publishers, if they could bring him into the fold for IDW, he's a really, really talented artist. So if you could get him to do this book as well, I think that'd be really, really great. And of course, you know, here's a question. Do you think we're ever going to get a Roger Craig Smith variant cover? Ooh. Because I, his I Twitter, because his Twitter Abby, I think it's still his Twitter Abby is him like in Sonic uh, gear. I think we should do that. I think we need to float that idea. If nobody's thought about that yet, we need to, we need to float that. <laughs> that's, our, that's our job. And we need to do a Julia White uh, variant cover as oh, well. of course. Yes, of course. And, of course, that's not all from IDW. They're also going to be putting out from Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill, The League, Extraordinary Gentlemen. Of course, as we mentioned a while back, the Goosebumps books that they're going to be working on. You also have TMNT Ghostbusters 2, some other Ghostbusters books, some more X-Files, doing a Gears of War where they're going to be coming out with uh, Curtis Weeb, who's going to be the writer for that. It's going to be dropping in January of 2018. But you know, James, with all these many, many different, different titles, there's one that we actually broke on social media. And you yeah. were actually there for it. Yep, I was at the first strike panel for IDW, which was great, by the way. We can't wait for that first strike arc. And let me tell you this. When they announced... Towards the end of the panel, that Hasbro's visionaries were going to be coming back to comics with Magdalene Visaggio as the writer and Fico Asio as the artist. The crowd in the room lit up when that logo came up on the screen. So when we tweeted that out, it just caught fire. And there was just <laughs> yeah. people are really, really excited because, you know, we talked about that with Revolution a while back where are we going to get visionaries? And now we know that, yes, we are. And I think even IDW was a little surprised at how, you know, just jacked people were for this. Hey, man, when you give people what they want and what they've been asking for, don't be surprised when they go ape shit over it. I mean, this is there. This is very, very exciting. I know you're a big Hasbro fan. I'm a big Hasbro fan. Uh, you know, we met Mags at Taiwan Con. Very nice. And, you know, of course, our boy Fico. So, hey, anytime you get those two together and you have them work on a book, I am all in, man. I am so excited. But, of course, staying on the IEW track, we're going to go a little bit into, of course, they announced their Black Crown division. And, James, tell us a little bit about that, some of the stuff they got coming out. And speaking of people that we know and have met at Todd Road <laughs> the first, one of the first books that they announced was Assassinistas, which is going to be a six-issue miniseries mini from Teeny Howard, who's a friend of the show. And then you just have, well, you know, you've got the Eisner Award Hall of Famer Gilbert Hernandez of Love and Rockets that's going to be doing the art on that. And basically the story on that is an ex-hit woman is going to be kind of coming out of retirement and dragging her son and his boyfriend along for the ride on missions and stuff like that. And that's going to be in December. And if that wasn't enough, you know, to go along with Kid Lobotomy, which has already been announced with uh, with our buddy Peter Milligan, they also announced Punk's Not, Not Dead, which is going to be with David Barnett and artist Martin Simons 
which is going to cross the pond in the UK. It's going to be coming up in January, and it's going to tell the story of Fergie, who's basically a boy in search of his father, but has a little bit of a companion along the ride, and yes, it's the Sex Pistols, Sid Vicious. So it's like, whoa, Black Crown's really going to be cool and out there. Yeah, man, and that's the thing, too, is this is what I love about not just IEW, but Black Crown as well. This is why I'm so excited about Black Crown, is because right from the start, of course, not only do they get people that we know who, to write their books, who are awesome writers and artists and stuff like that, but just reading the synopsis for these things, they're not afraid to take risks with their storytelling. They're not afraid to say, you know what, yeah, we're going to put out this, this Sid Vicious you know, comic and stuff like that and, and call it Punk's Not Dead. You know, we're going to have this whole thing where you have this ex-hit woman coming out of retirement and stuff like that. You know, so they're going to ha- hit the ground running, and I love that. You know, they're not doing the, these, these the quote-unquote safe approaches. Like, you know what, let's try to get, you know, like Marvel has Spider-Man. They have their famous characters. Let's try to get, like, our famous character. Like, like you know, like a flagship, basically, character. Like a mascot, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, it's like, you know what, let's go out of the box with this. Let's take risks. That's the best types of storytelling for me is when you're willing to go outside the box and be risky and take risks, that's when you get me as a reader because I read your pages, I read your word bubbles and everything, I look at the art, and I'm like, okay, you decided to take risks and it paid off. And this is what I just looking at this right now. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, and they showed previews of it at the con to, to people that were at the con as well. So I mean, it looks really, really good. And I mean, IDW does have their licensed properties, like the, they've got the Star Trek Discovery comic that's going to be coming out as well. They announced that there's a Unicron book that's going to come for Transformers fans. But then you look at Black Crown, and you look at all the unique stuff that they're doing. And when I was talking to IDW, they said, you know, we feel like this is really going to get people excited about our creator-owned books, and that's something that they really want to start focus on, and they think that Black Crown is really going to help them be able to push that envelope a little bit more. And from what I'm seeing, and they said how particular Shelley Bond is going to be about what gets on here and who gets worked on what, I think that they've got the right vision for this. Exactly. Of course, speaking with somebody who has the right vision for things, Zach Kaplan, he's going to be teaming up with all-star artist Andrea Muti, of course, who did Rebels, which is an amazing series. Holy shit, it's an amazing series. If you've not read Rebels, go read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to be teaming up for a new science fiction series. Of course, it's going to be called Port of Earth. It's going to be coming this November from Image Comics and Top Cop Productions. And the, you know, synopsis as far as pretty interesting. You have these aliens, they come to Earth, not in war peace, but with a business deal to open up a spaceport. We have great spaceports here on Earth. In exchange for advanced <laughs> technology, we have the best, best space deals, best alien deals. It'd be great. But when our, but when of course when they have the alien visitors break port restrictions and wreak havoc on the cities, it falls to the newly formed Earth Security Agency to hunt down and safely deport the dangerous rogue aliens. So this is something that I love because you know you read science fiction and in certain alien films, you know they arrive and it's like okay they're in peace, they come in peace. And, you know, then all of a sudden stuff goes haywire and it's like, oh, they have ulterior motives. To me, you know, can I tell you what this reminds me of? The new Planet of the Apes trilogy that just ended. Kind of, yeah. Because because you have these aliens, like I said, they're coming with not war or peace, but with a business deal. And I speak of this mostly in the second uh, Planet of the Apes movie, which, which I believe was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And you had where both sides were kind of in peace. They had this business thing lined up. You know, the apes are going to get this and the humans are going to get that. And then you had Koba come on in as this rogue ape 
and fuck everything up, and next thing you know, we have a giant war on our hands. So this is what this speaks to me, man. And again, Zach has just been killing with Eclipse. I read the newest issue a while back, and it is fucking amazing. It, it really is. And when I was talking to him on the floor at the con, he said, you know, he was kind of even going for like, the colonists meet the Indians on in the New World kind of yeah. for this kind of thing. And he said that that was one of the focuses that he had on this. He's like, you know, when they first came here, you know, you're brokering trade deals and stuff like that. And then stuff sorts, sort of goes awry and then you see the fallout from that. And that's kind of what he said was one of the focuses on that too. And I'm sure that he'd appreciate the Planet of the Apes analogy as well because I think that that definitely speaks to that as well. But when he told me about this book and he was giving me that information, I'm like, this, this is something that... I'm in for this. I mean, we, we we think that Zach's done a great job with Eclipse, and now we get to see him do something even more and get even more into the sci-fi genre, bringing aliens into the mix. And then you bring Andrew Muti in to do the art? I mean, come on. This is a no-brainer for me. And then, of course, our final publisher we're going to talk about is Dark Horse. And Dark Horse actually has some pretty cool new projects from Karen Berger, Jeff Lemire, Mike Mignola, and more, of course. And some of them, just going off of some of the list here, you have Matahari, The Seeds, The Originals, The Essential Edition, uh, Umbrella Academy on Netflix, Evil Descends at the, uh, at the Mignolaverse. You have some great, great books from him and just all these other people because this just is something that I'm excited about. Dark Horse has been putting out some solid books you know, they've had some misses, but overall, they've put out some pretty solid books. Yeah, and then, of course, they, they were really pumping up the Return of the 300 universe to comics as well, because they've got Xerxes, The Fall of the House of Darius, and The Rise of Alexander, and they had Frank Miller there to talk about that, so, I mean, that was a big deal, and, of course, they renewed their uh, first look deal with uh, with Universal and everything like that, so they're very excited about that news. And then, of course, you got something kind of interesting that kind of caught my eye with Sherlock Frankenstein and The Legion of Evil, which is kind of... Which is kind of along the lines of what uh, Jeff Lemire has been doing with the Black Hammer kind of stuff. So I mean, that looks really, really interesting to me. They're they're pushing more of their Warcraft stuff. They announced a Troll Hunters comic, which of course was very popular in Netflix. Thus, you know, the deal with Netflix and and all that stuff with that, that you were talking about with Umbrella Academy. So it seems like Dark Horse. I mean, we, we talked about the Tomb Raider book already, too, from our buddies uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. It seems like they've really got a nice focus for the future, and they're bringing us stuff that's a little bit different than what we've seen from them before. So they're not just focusing on their lineup that they have now. They're really starting to stretch it out a little bit more. And that's going to do it for what we're going to become next. It's This Week in Geek Tainment. And let's just say we have a bunch of trailers to get to. Find out which ones we're going to be talking about next. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. Well, the SDCC version of This Week in Geek Tainment is packed full of trailers. And Nick, why don't we start with one that made the Red Wedding seem like a tea party. Let's go with Westworld. I wouldn't go that far because as someone who's seen the Red Wedding... Yeah, it's very fucking bad, dude. Um, no, Westworld was one of those shows where the first season, I watched the first season, but I'm like, okay, I think I might just, you know, skip the second season. Doesn't really have much interest. This, I would say, is the one trailer that I watched it. And right now, if you haven't seen the first season, basically. Let's just put it this way. The inmates run the asylum now, basically. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm more interested to see how that's going to you know, work out in season two. So 
I'm going to give Westfield probably a couple more episodes because I want to see how the craziness kind of, you know, like what changes, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, because the season two trailer, basically, the takeaway from it is bodies everywhere. Oh, like, literally and, bodies everywhere in this whole trailer. And remember, in the first season, they made sure they made sure to tell people the, the rule. A big rule is the people that pay to go to Westworld cannot die. Right, and so what we're seeing is it looks like the people that pay to go to Westworld fucking die. Pretty so much. It, it looks like again, man, this lawless kind of sense of order, which is going to be really interesting to see, you know, what happens and, and how things progress. Because like I said, I'm gonna give it. I'll give it. I don't know if I'll give it the full season again. I'll probably give it the first three episodes, four episodes, see how it goes. Yeah, I understand why people like Westworld, but but for me, yeah, it didn't grab me either. So. It's also one of those things where I was like, all right, I'll give it a chance in the beginning to see if it kind of changes a little bit more and becomes a little bit more interesting for me before I decide whether or not to go forward with it. But, I mean, the the, the trailer did look interesting, but, you know, that doesn't always translate because the tra- the original trailer looked good, too. So, I don't know. I, this is definitely a wait-and-see show for me as well. And then moving on to our next trailer, we're going into the Netflix realm and, you know, a feature-like movie they have called Bright, starring Will Smith. And I will say this. Looking at the synopsis of Bright, having watched the trailer multiple times, this is Shadowrun the movie, basically. Yeah, basically. And, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't look bad either, though. I mean, No, it looks whole, really awesome. I'm yeah. intrigued by it. Yeah, you get the whole integrating into society, and, you know, you've got one of, the, one of the beings that's a cop now, and it's like, how do you treat your own kind kind of thing. And the way that Will, the way that Will Smith is dealing with, the, with this character that he has in this movie, I mean, it's, it's really, really intriguing. It's one of those things that... You forget that Will Smith can kind of bring that to the table. He's got that seriousness, and he's got that almost relatability with the other characters around him. You know what I mean? Yeah, he has, you know, he, he's stern in the trailer when he needs to be, it appears. But also he brings in that, like, Agent J, Men in Black, mm-hmm. you know, kind of finesse to his the way he delivers some of his lines and stuff like that, especially in the, you know, joking scenes and stuff. So, I mean, it looks really interesting. I'm glad this is actually a movie. And I'm going to tell you this right now, I don't know what the budget was for this, but it looks like they pumped a lot of money into it. Yeah, well, I mean, you got Will Smith on the byline. I guess you would definitely try and pump a lot of money into it, but there's no real box office numbers to go by here. I mean, you, of course, you've got the streaming numbers, and Netflix loves to talk about when they break records, so I'm sure that if that happens, they're definitely going to tout that, but I'm not sure this is the one that's going to be breaking records. Yeah, so I think the one that's going to be breaking records, of course, is going to be Stranger Things Season 2. we got to look at that new trailer for the new season, and you know, when we reviewed the show a while back, we talked about how we bet I bet Season 2 is going to have to deal with Will and how he's still affected by the upside down. And lo and behold, it still has a hold on him, but not for the reasons that we think it does. Because he says, you know, what do you want with me? And the big part is, not you, them. Yep. And so it's like, oh, shit, it wants the whole time hickory now. Like, it doesn't want just want Will. Will is just the appetizer now. And so I am intrigued, man. I am so pumped for this. This cannot get here fast enough. Yeah, it's like now we're focused on everybody else because it's almost like a you invaded our world, now we're going to invade yours, and we're going to take everybody that you have kind of a deal. So I think that that's really, really interesting. And, of course, you know, you see, you see Eleven, and you know, oh, yes. you know she's coming back. I mean, you can't keep that a secret. You know she's coming back, and they kind of show how that happens. But what I also love is that the only, one of the only things I was worried about with season two of Stranger Things is like, okay, how long are they going to drag out the whole Will st- still being affected, and is he going to tell anybody? It looks like they kind of get to that. 
pretty quickly, and they show that in the trailer, which I think is a really smart move because it allows them to tell the story better. Yeah, because you get that whole, again, the, the big fear of any show really is filler episodes. I say our filler episodes. And it looks like, again, we don't know when you're going to see you know, Winona Ryder's character and Hopper and stuff like that really find out what the deal is with Will and what's going on. But, you know, it's nice to kind of have that thing where, they, okay, they find, you can see they figure it out. I'll say this, too. You know, somebody who, who likes the first Hangover movie, the first Hangover movie, I love that. My big problem with that trilogy was that Doug wasn't, like, with the group at all in any of those movies. You never got to see that angle. Whereas with Stranger Things, they do the smart thing of, and this is a lot of stuff they have to deal with, like somebody's gone missing and they got to find them, is, hey, this person's back. We're going to make sure that they're part of the main fucking cast now. It's not going to be this recurring thing where they kept on getting captured or they kept on saying, like, or like they say, you know, hey, the government's back in Hickory, Will. And he's like, you know, I'm going to sit this one out, guys. You know, my mom right. drew all these letters on the wall. I got to paint over and put new wallpaper up. But uh, go on without me. Yeah, that security deposit would be a bitch for that house they're renting. <laughs> no, they're there right now. I mean, just the phone bill itself, and not just like how much they spend on the phone, but just having to buy new ones. Yeah, literally gonna, phones. Yeah. They probably made insurance just for phone repair and stuff yeah, like that. Pretty much. I don't think Nationwide's on their side. I can tell you that. Not at all. But no. you know, who's on? But who's on the side of right is, of course, Netflix's Defenders. And I'm gonna say this, man. Um, after this season, they need to move on from the hand. They really need to move on from the yeah. hand because it, it looks like. Uh, you know, okay, you're getting to that threshold, and, and I know Sigourney Weaver's in it. She's going to be the main thing because you have Elektra back, and Sigourney Weaver's character plays a role, and, you know, Elektra doesn't know who she is. So her memory's been wiped. Now she's pretty much been built by Sigourney as this, you know, living weapon, if you will, and stuff like that. So, again, it's like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. After this season, no more hand. Like, like it's done. It's got to be done. You know, no more Hydra, no more hand. Yeah, and this it just seems like the whole living weapon thing's been done already, too. I mean, we've done that quite a few times, it feels yeah. like. I will say this, though. I agree with you. They need to move on from the hand, and I, I really definitely think that they will. But I'm already seeing how Danny Rand is definitely going to work better in the group dynamic. <laughs> yeah! Then on his own, because it seemed like I, the chemistry between all of them I thought was really, really good, and I thought that the team dynamic was good. But then you see that Danny Rand is actually very well integrated into the group and actually seems like he kind of matters a little bit more now. So I think that our our thoughts on that are kind of becoming true earlier than we thought. Well, not only that, but when you watch the trailer, he... You know, his, I will say this, and I think you'll agree with me, Iron Fist was by far the weakest of the Netflix Marvel oh, shows easily, so far. Easily. It was horrible. But did you notice that he seems to be the one that gets the most shit thrown his way in terms of just insults and lines and stuff like that from the other teammates? I wonder why that is. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, it's like well, what are you? Like, my, it's like, what, what do you do? Well, my hand glows. Well, why? Well, it, it's key. You know, or it's chi or whatever. And it's like, they're looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and... And, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like that they're going to find a way, I think, to integrate him well within the group. Uh, I, th I can't wait to see how he interacts, of course, with Luke Cage, who's a whole Heroes for Hire aspect yep. and stuff like that. I'm really excited to see with this team dynamic because in the panel that I covered, they talked about how what makes them unique is, at least it was a showrunner that said this, uh, what makes them unique, makes the Defenders very unique, is there's no captain there's no Cyclops, you know, there's no Tony Stark, no Captain America, there's no leader. And they're just people that have been 
teamed up together, and that's really it. You know, there's no superiority. They don't have a base or anything like that, you know, and, and I like that. It's very grounded, I think. Yeah, I like that too, and I think that that was the right call because you don't really want to single anybody out as the leader in this group because, I mean, you could make a case for all of them except Danny Rand. <laughs> yeah. You really could. You could make a case for any of them to actually lead the team, but I think that how how long it takes them to get to that come-together moment I think will be really interesting. I think Sigourney Weaver, d- despite, you know, not re- necessarily being a powerful entity herself, it seems like seems like she's going to be a legit villain, and I'm going to be glad to see Elektra back. And the dynamic between her and Daredevil is going to be very interesting in this season because, you know, I'm sure he doesn't really know what's happened to her sort of thing. So when they encounter each other for the first time, how is that going to affect him? I think that'll be an interesting part of the story. Exactly. We're going to move on right now from Marvel to DC television. We're starting with the CW shows. You know, let's start off with Arrow. All right, let's do that. And now, when I talk to the cast, they couldn't really reveal much. And this trailer certainly doesn't reveal much. But what we do, what we do kind of understand is that there's going to be a lot of focus, especially early on, between the dynamic between Oliver and, and William and what happens on the island, which, of course, they're not going to tell us because they're not stupid. And, you know, how they're going to be. Are they going to be okay after that's over? Is there going to be a, a kind of fissure there? We don't really know, but we kind of get the sense that not all is right in the world. Yeah, and of course, you know, it looks like we're going to be getting the dynamic and arc between Black Siren and Black Canary, which is going to be pretty interesting. And of course, it looks like just from this trailer, Oliver is going to be going at it alone for probably, I would say, a good you know first arc of the season. It seems that way. Like I said, they didn't really touch on any of that because they, they've re- this is the closest to the vest, I think, that they've kept the CW shows for a while. And as a matter of fact, they've, they, they even said that this is... You know, the first really big cliffhanger that they've had on the show that they feel like. so. But we did find out that we are going to see a two-part episode for Slade Wilson. So that is really, really good. We know the Deathstroke is going to be a pretty big part of the next season. So that'll be interesting to see him back. And just to see what the team dynamic's going to be like once we do finally find out who survives and who doesn't. And from Arrow, let's move on to The Flash. And of course, last season, Barry went back into the Speed Force. So now it looks like Iris is taking control of Team Flash. Of course, Wally steps into Barry's place as the Flash. And it looks like Caitlin Snow is back on the team. Or could this, could, this, could this be like an Earth-24 Caitlin? We don't know. They're very coy about that, especially Danielle when we asked her about it. She's like, oh, well, who do you think you saw? Who was that kind of thing? So they've been very coy about her role on the show and, and even on the team and what that's going to be like. But they're very, very much serious about the fact that Iris is running point now. Iris is the is the one behind the mic, the one that's running the show. But also, you know, you struggle to, to keep Central City safe in Barry's absence. And they said that you're going to see a lot of that. We're going to see a lot more vibe in the field. We saw that in the trailer. And, of course, Wally, will he put on the red suit? Will he not put on the red suit? That right. was another thing. that, And they kind of hinted that in the trailer. Is that going to happen or isn't it? So, And when does Barry come back? Because, come on. You know well, they Barry's showed it at back. the end of the trailer, but yeah. again, we don't know if that could be a, a you know time remnant of Barry. We don't know what that's going to be, but it's going to be pretty awesome to see what they do with the Flash. And I mean, God damn it, I just want Barry and Iris to be happy for fuck's sake. I know, like, can, right? Like, like, just get married. You know, can can they have like a date night where shit doesn't go wrong? Like, please. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that's a thing on the CW. I don't think at all. <laughs> no. Uh, so from the Flash, let's move on to another part of the CW quadrilogy or trinity if you will or whatever you want to call it uh supergirl 
and you know Reigns we the villain for Supergirl this season, and it looks like, well, Cara Danvers is gone, and Supergirl is now a full time job. Yeah, and I think that you kind of saw that coming eventually that that was going to happen, but it seems like we're going to see a much more hardened version of Kara than we have in years in uh, seasons past. And I mean, I guess you kind of understand that given the sacrifice that she made. And she says in the trailer, I would make that decision again. And maybe she won't have to make that decision because we, we really weren't given any hints about what happened with mon in the pod at the end of the finale. They didn't really hint to that in this trailer. So I don't know. Are they just going to go away from that entirely? Is that going to be any kind of a theme in this upcoming season? Or are we just going to see full-time Supergirl? And what's that team dynamic going to be like now that that happened? There weren't really a whole lot of hints given in this trailer. Yeah, man. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. You want to talk about team dynamic. I think the biggest team that CW has on its roster, of course, is DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And, you know, at the end of last season, we saw they messed up time so bad. There's dinosaurs walking the streets, these skyscrapers and everything. And, you know, let's just put it this way. You know, you mentioned something pretty interesting uh, when you were at the pressers. And it was about, you know, how one of the cast members felt that this team kind of felt like they didn't have a groove in the first season. Now they felt like they 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 found that groove, and also uh, they want to be the fun show now. They don't want to be the serious show. They want to be all about the fun. Yeah, Dominic Purcell was very, very candid when we, when we were talking to him about the show, and he said season one, he thought it sucked. And that, yeah. that's paraphrasing. I'm not sure the exact words that he said, but he's like, he just didn't feel like there, there was a lot going on in that first season. He said, but in the second season, you know, they kind of found the humor. They kind of found their groove as a team and all that stuff. So he felt like, you know, this is the this is the way this show should be now. It should be more on the humorous bend. They should have dynamics between certain characters. And I think that they've done that. And I think that this trailer really brings that to bear as well, where you see the team really starting to mesh and gel. And then at some point, you're going to throw Zari, Tala Ash into the mix. Yeah, man. So, I mean, it's going to be really, really awesome to see what happens. Legends of Tomorrow, of course. I believe Billy Zane's going to be in this season as well. I think he's playing one of the Ringling Brothers, I believe. And so it's going to be really, really awesome to see just who they have for cameos. I just got to say, man, having Victor talk about the, the, the fucking scene where he's talking about Titanic. Oh, my yeah. God. The scene, the scene where Doc is talking about you know Titanic, and I'm like, ha, that's funny because you were the shipbuilder on Titanic. It was great. And oh they did God. talk about wanting to do more stuff like that, too, like kind of wink and nod type jokes. Oh, yeah. And I will say in the press are also possible tease of maybe a meetup between Sarah and her sister at some point down the line. Oh, yeah, Laurel boy. and Sarah maybe at some point, either on the maybe in the crossover because they were talking about the crossover as well. That could actually happen. Sarah meets Black Siren. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, can you imagine? And then yeah. staying on, you know, the DC TV realm. Let's let's move to Gotham. You know, rather that CW realm, let's move to Fox. And whew, I just gotta say this, man. They've 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 taken the brakes off everything. Now we're getting really into that Batman mythos that I know all of us really love. I mean, the first few seasons were great, but now we're really getting into the real meat, I think, of this Gotham sandwich because you have the Iceberg Lounge, which I love to do with Enigma. In fact, he's this block of ice. You have Bruce Wayne basically becoming Batman now. Selina is under the tutelage of somebody who we both love in the show uh, and and is learning, you know, with the whip and everything. So, and of course, you have Butch and Solomon Grundy. How will that go? But of course, you need a big bad. You need a theme. You know, I mean, you had the you know rise of the villains, all this other stuff. You know, with Jerome and everything. But this season looks to be based entirely, at least for the most part, 
on fear. Yeah, and I got to tell you, we get the first look at Mr. Crane himself, the Scarecrow, in this trailer. It's really, really quick, but terrifying as all hell. I mean, you know that Scarecrow in every iteration has been pretty scary. But this one, I don't know what it is about this one, and I don't know if you agree with me, but for some reason, this one seems like the creepiest, just most uncomfortable version of Scarecrow, even in the short amount of time that I've seen. We want to know why, because remember, there was a season, I forgot what season it was, but they had an episode where he, Crane was in the episode, it was before he took the mask of his father, remember? Mm-hmm. So so maybe this is like something that happened with his dad or something, whatever, and, and now he, he the sun rises and he you know comes next in line and does what, you know tries to build on his father's legacy, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Gotham, but staying in the Fox realm, and we only have a few more trailers get through but the gifted of course fox's x-men tv show and just you know real quickly um it's kind of like every x-men show we've mostly seen from a family dynamic in terms of you have these you know underground things of mutants and stuff like that these underground group of mutants and you know of course you have the Strucker family and it's like hey you know dad puts people like us in jail so we're gonna go on the run and join up with these guys and stuff like that so it looks pretty interesting, I'll say. You know what the first thing I thought of was? What? Heroes Season 1. Really? That's what a lot of people said. Yeah, I mean, it's ex- it's it's almost the exact storyline. Dad works for the evil company that puts us away, finds out that we, that uh, his daughter, his, literally his daughter is one of them, and I, I guess his son too, but uh, and then decides to, you know, try to help them instead sort of thing. So I, I'm hoping they go a little bit further away from the hero storyline. So... That that's my only worry. I hope we get a little bit more uniqueness out of it. And I mean, what what can you really tell from a trailer? But from that short, small sample size, that's the only thing that I'm worried about with the gifted is that we're going to get too much heroes. And and I think the power sets is is been pretty good. Like we were talking about earlier, I don't know what the budgets are here, but it looks like they've definitely spared no expense for this show either. I'm just hoping that it's not too much like heroes. I loved heroes. Don't get me wrong. I really did. But especially the first season, I just want them to take a little bit of a different tenor with this. And I'm sure they will. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it would be interesting to see what they do going forward. I hope it loses that hero vibe. And, you know, speaking of family, we're going to go to the Marvel's Royal family, of course, the Inhumans. And we got another closer look at the Inhumans. I'm just going to say this, man. This is not just a Marvel thing. This is a DC thing. This is a lot of things. I'm tired of the inter-family coup storyline. I'm tired of somebody being jealous of their brother or their sister, and then next thing you know, they want to start a coup and knock them out of their throne, and they got to fight back to reclaim the throne. Like, if it's not Game of Thrones, like, seriously, I, I don't care, because it's I think it's just done too many fucking times now, man. At least, Or at least in the projects we've seen, that's been a good amount of the projects in both film and television. I'm just going to say this, and and people had a... It was a mixed reaction to this on the floor at SDCC. I'm going to say this just for me personally. I don't get it. I yeah. don't get it. I just... Every time... This is the second trailer that we've seen now. I don't understand where the excitement level is for this. I really, really don't. Is Does Anson Mount look great? Is Black Bolt? Absolutely looks great. Medusa? Still not sold on the look, but... The CG looks fucking terrible, too. Let's not be... Let's not I sugarcoat mean, it. It just... I don't get it. I don't get what the excitement is. And if I hear about IMAX one more time, I think my eyes are going to bleed. You're going to need your next kid IMAX. I mean, I get it, okay? You're going to show the first couple episodes in IMAX. 
that's not a huge draw anymore. I used to watch nature shows on IMAX. Right. So, I mean, just just slow your roll a little bit on this, but I don't get it. I, I want to be wrong about this because I want to see the Inhuman succeed. I guess I still have the bad taste in my mouth of, you were doing so well with this on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you decided to dump that, do this, now you're going to forget all that to do this, and, and you had something and you lost it, I guess. Well, not to mention with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they pushed it back at least to January because of Inhumans and coming out in the fall. So Yeah, we'll see how that works out. And moving on to movies now, James, we're going to talk about, you know, buddy, we had Mark Millar on the show a while back, and, you know, he's one of the people behind the new Kingsman movie, so, hey, Kingsman the Golden Circle, we saw a new trailer for that, I can't fucking wait, man, I mean, I watched the new trailer that came out for it, and I really scoured all of, like, Netflix, Stars, HBO, to see if they had the first film, they didn't have it, so I'm like, I really wanted to watch that first movie after seeing the trailer. I will say this, man. Uh, I like the whole, you know, Americans kind of melding with oh, the British yeah. in this movie. And, the and statesman, yeah. Dude, Channing Tatum works. I yeah. was actually a little bit worried about that. Then you see him in the trail, I'm like, it just works so well. Did you see the first Kingsman? I, I have not, actually. And Dude, I, you have to. It's I just, on YouTube. Just bought on YouTube. it. I bought oh, it. Just, I saw oh, the trailer, it. and I bought it. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to buy it. And watch it. I have to Dude, see it. It's movie so now. good. It's so fucking good. Of course, make sure your son's asleep when you're watching it. But well, yeah. I mean, I, well, it's it's right up my alley too. So I've been wanting to watch it for a while. So I'm actually going to sit down and do that before this new one comes out. And I will say this: some of the best lasso work I think we've ever seen in a feature movie in a long, <laughs> yeah. long time. I like what he's going through. Like, okay, so we got a gun. We have this and the jump rope. It's a lasso, and you find out like it's not just an ordinary lasso. It can like shoot electricity. Yeah. It can. It looks like it has, it has some anti-gravity stuff. We don't know. But it looks really interesting. And, of course, we went to the big two movies. We're going to start from the Marvel realm. Thor. Oh, my God. I, I'm i excited, man, because this is colorful. This is fun. And it, fi- it literally turns out like Marvel has found what to do with Thor because, you know, we talked about like him being a bro and stuff like that. But when you really watch him... The bro stuff really actually works. Like, it works him being this dumb god of a jock, you know, this arrogant, kind of, you know, Rob Gronkowski of Marvel, basically. You know, it works, man. I mean, because he doesn't take himself too seriously and stuff like that. And even people, when you, you know, when you talk about Thor, you have Thor fans, they're like, yeah, I like Thor. The comics are okay, but I mean, you know, he's best when. Chris Hemsworth is playing him like, you know, again, a, a Marvel version of Rob Gronkowski because. I mean, there's just the dynamic between him and the Hulk and Bruce Banner is great. And, you know, we found out that the Grand Master is, you know, of course, related to the Collector. I believe they're brothers. So mm-hmm. or he's an uncle or a brother, one of the two. But it's going to be really, really awesome to see how that dynamic works out. And I'm going to say this, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited, especially because we saw Carl Urban last year at AwesomeCon, and he told, talked to us about this. Man, I'm pumped. Why am I more excited about this than Infinity War? No, well, because you haven't seen the Infinity War trailer. Now, I have seen the Infinity War trailer, and uh, it was fucking amazing. I'm just saying this. I'm so excited for this. I don't, I don't understand why my excitement level is so high, but it really, really is. And, you know, just seeing just seeing Hela in all her glory, it's like, oh, my gosh. She looks so, so good. We finally get a female villain in a Marvel, Marvel you know? movie, too. So, oh, looks so good. And Chris Hemsworth is Thor. He is Thor. Let's just say that right now. That's another one that Marvel got perfectly right. Chris Hemsworth 
is Thor, and I think we're going to see the dynamic between him and Bruce Banner and Mark Ruffalo. I think it's really going to work, man. I think that this is one of those movies that's going to go, it's going to be under the radar in, in the Marvel MCU. I think this is one of those ones that's really going to catapult Thor up there. And it works because, if you know, it's just from the music to just the way things look and just how some of the scenes are shot. They're going to say they're going full on like 80s, you know, sci-fi cheese kind of thing, man, where yeah. it's like just outrageous. And that's the thing about Marvel, you know, say, you know, we've talked about, you know, some they've had some misses along the way. At least for some of us, more misses than hits. But when they hit, they really hit. But with this, it's like, remember how we talked about the whole cosmic universe and Marvel and what they were going to do with it. Well, it turns out the cosmic universe ends up being the most fun universe in the MCU. Yeah, who knew, right? Who knew? Who knew? But that, so, yeah, well, that's well, what we're looking at right shackles now. Shackles taken off, man. You can do whatever you want. So maybe they just feel that. Maybe they just feel that freedom now. And I really, I really hope that that's the case. They feel like after all this time now, they can finally shred themselves with the shackles and just do what they want. I think they just need to keep doing that. Just the pressure should be off at this point. Just do what you want. And speaking of shredding things, of course, Justice League, DC, Warner Brothers looks to have hopefully finally shredded the shackles of bad movies, even though we love Suicide Squad, with Wonder Woman. And now they're going to this Justice League trailer, and it's just like movie. And um, I, I will say this. The trailer I liked. It looks fun. I'm, I think Jason Momoa is going to be the, the scene stealer in this yep. as Aquaman. I think Arthur Curry is going to literally steal the show from everybody else, I think. My only problem, and this is not just with this movie, this is with a lot of movies that deal with their comic book related. Um, this movie, especially if it's a Zack Snyder movie, deals with a lot of CGI buildings, a lot of CGI scenery and green screen. And the sets really take me out of the movie because, you know, you see, I know some shots look like they're inside of a bank with Wonder Woman. She stops a bank robbery and stuff like that. But, you know, if you see stuff like Spider-Man Homecoming where it looks like they shot a lot on the streets and on sets and stuff like that and not green screen and, you know, just building sets and everything else like that, you'll see something like this where you can just tell, like, okay, this building CG, this building CG, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, you know, stuff like that. It kind of takes me out of it because it's like, okay, these are just a bunch of actors in front of green screen throwing tridents at tennis balls basically yeah and i and i think that's the film student in you and i i totally understand that i mean if if i was in the same boat i probably wouldn't be able to not see it either i'm just numb to it at this point so i'm just i'm just in it for you know what kind of story are you going to tell me you know how are the characters going inter- to interact with each other which i think in this trailer we saw some good interaction between the between the justice league members i like that having seen the suits up close finally on the Florida SDCC, not worried about the flash suit at all. I know we had talked about that uh, earlier on in another episode. The flash suit is legit, man. It looks really, really good. You will not be disappointed about this, I don't think, on the screen. And of course, we've already seen Ezra Miller in the, Ezra Miller in the suit, but seeing it up close, it's definitely legit. And I think that they're not going to shy away from having a lot of Wonder Woman in this movie. I think that they learned that lesson from the Wonder Woman movie and her popularity, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of Wonder Woman, a lot of Batman, because if we oh, yeah. put the team together at this point, I totally agree with you about Arthur Curry too. I think Jason Momoa is going to steal a lot of the show, and I like that we see a lot of these tandem moves that the Justice League already had together. It's like almost like they're working together. They've been working together all along, kind of thing, and they found their groove with a couple of action sequences that were in this. But before we move on, let's talk about the. 
who is Alfred talking to? Because I don't understand why there's a question of who. It's Alfred's fucking talking Superman, to. right? I I, I, okay, here let me let me let's just been stuck in my craw because I've seen a lot of tweets about it. I've been getting a lot of messages about about it. It's not a fucking Green Lantern. Yeah, no, it's not. It, yeah, Steppenwolf in the trailer mentions you know no more lanterns. So there's a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Green Lantern. Listen, when you as shitty of a film as Batman vs Superman was. When you watch the end of the film, they show Superman's real coffin when he's buried on his farm. Right. You see the ground shake and some of it start to lift. Right. Whereas this final scene, you see a drink, a la Jurassic Park, shake. And then Alfred looks up. And also, you have the story about fucking Henry Cavill's mustache having to be CG'd out because he's shooting Mission Impossible. So Superman, he's in the fucking movie. Like, why... This is literally the worst kept secret, I think, in all of movies right now. Like, he's in the fucking movie. He's going to show up in the third act, possibly save the day. Bet you the team's going to probably be, be, be near death. And he's going to come in and fly in and beat the shit out of Steppenwolf. And as much as people love Green Lantern, Green Lantern's not going to save the day. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just not going to happen. It's I'm gonna a be Superman. Green Lantern fan, man. I mean, he's my favorite DC character, so... Yeah, he's not going to you know save the day. Yeah, I'm, this, I'm sorry. This is not going to happen. Plus, the Green but Lantern Corps movie is not until, what, like 2035 or something? Pretty much. I mean, it's kind of sad that some people are actually grasping at straws of like, well, underneath the plane, you see that green light. I'm like, it's no. just a light to make sure that the yeah. plane see the plane in the yeah, air. No. Like, you're really grabbing at straws, no. man. I know you want Green Lantern to be in this movie so bad, people, but it's Superman. I mean, you're right. It's the worst kept secret ever. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I, I really do. I, I, I get it. But it is the worst kept secret ever. It really is. It, it's Superman. I just thought we needed to get that out there. I thought we needed to get that off our chest. It's it's really, really obvious. And at this point, if it's not, I'm I'm, I'm going to actually be more upset if it's not because it's like, really, what are you doing? What, it's Booster Gold. Doing? Oh, please, love of God, be Booster Gold. Oh, fuck, please be Booster Gold. Uh, yeah, that would, you'd like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> just because I know James would like rip out all the seats in the theater and like throw chairs through the popcorn maker at this movie theater. So, uh, yeah. You want to see my Hulk out moment? That would be it. That, 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 that would be it. But speaking of being that being it, that's going to do it for Geek Tainment. But come next, we got more Down Nerdy coming your way. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, normally this is the time of the show where we go around the internet and see what's trending, but you know what? This is our San Diego Comic-Con recap show. So we're going to walk around and go through all the panel rooms and the ballrooms where all the news was taking place. James, it's time for... Nerd News! And a lot of the stuff we talked about, really we covered in Geektainment, but there was some news we left out on purpose for this segment. We're going to start off with Warner Brothers. We're going to start off with the movies. Of course, we ended Geek Tame by talking about Justice League. But James, they announced that they got this whole DCEU thing planned and it might involve a little bit of a shakeup. Yeah, and actually, we finally know what's going to be going on with the Flash movie and why things have bounced around so much and Barry keeps changing the timeline, apparently, because now there is going to be a Flashpoint movie. And not only that, we finally know the Justice League Dark is actually happening, and that's what they're going to call it. Yep, Justice League Dark's happening. They also showed the new images for Aquaman and Batgirl. So, of course, those movies are happening. Aquaman, of course, in is filming in Australia right now, I believe. And so that's, you know, of course, James Wan is directing that from Fast and the Furious. 
But I want to talk about Flashpoint real fast because the way the WB panel, I covered this during SDCC, the way it opened up was when they brought the Justice League cast onto the stage, Ben Affleck basically opened up by saying, listen, Batman is a fucking great character. I will do anything for Matt Reeves. If he wants to play you know, an ape, I will play an ape. Because, you know, Matt Reeves, of course, directed <laughs> Planet of the Apes. Yep. So, you know, Ben Affleck pretty much, to what we know now, has put the, those things to rest that, you know, he's t- thinking about leaving DC and Warner Brothers, you know, thinking about recasting him. But to be honest, Flashpoint, if it becomes a thing where Ben Affleck does leave and they recast, Flashpoint is a perfect reason to bring in a new person to play Batman. And also, you know, we talked about before Wonder Woman, a lot of you know the DC movies that came before it, mixed reviews, a lot of people saying most of them were bad. So really, Flashpoint, you want to talk about a way to, you know, really jumpstart something and give it a new starting point and kind of, you know, start fresh? Why not use Flashpoint to do it? Yeah, you could do that. I mean, it certainly gives them that option, and I think that that's one of the reasons why they're doing it. And, of course, we're not going to get the Flashpoint movie for a while anyway, so I guess you see how the Batman works out, and you see how the Justice League movies work out, or anything else that you might see Ben Affleck appear in between here and then. But you're right. Flashpoint gives them the license to make any changes that they need to make based on whatever works and doesn't work from here on out. And I think that that's kind of smart. And I, know, I understand there was a lot of grumbling on the floor of like, really, we're going to do Flashpoint again? They couldn't come up with anything else. They couldn't have, they couldn't have given us a storyline we haven't just seen recently on TV. And I'm like, well, you know, honestly, it's arguably the biggest Flash story that there is. So you kind of understand why they're going to do that. And, and, you know, you got to make a big splash with a character like the Flash on the screen, especially when you've got Grant Gustin and company to compete with. And whether you like it or not, you are competing with them. So I think that this is a good idea for a lot of reasons. Uh, again, I think it's a great reason. A lot of people say, again, as you mentioned, oh, you're doing another Flashpoint? Yeah, because have you not seen how bad the first couple of movies were in the DCEU and how you know they finally got some traction with Wonder Woman? And let's just say that Justice League... It is a Zack Snyder movie after all. Let's just say it's a bad movie. Flashpoint can be used to say, you know what? Fresh start, fresh coat of paint. Let's start over. Let's hit, hit the reset button. And that's the perfect thing to do. So it's smart. You know, if you have the opportunity, if you have a storyline that allows you to do that, why not do it? And I think that's why we're getting Wonder Woman in 2019, Wonder Woman 2. Oh, yes. If they figure, okay, if Justice League bombs, we don't have to wait until 2020 or 2021 to get another Wonder Woman movie. It's right, literally right around the corner now. And then, I mean, we could have a lot of girl power in 2019, too. You think about that. We could actually see Batgirl in 2019 for all we know. I mean, I don't think they gave an actual release date for that during the panel. But, I mean, think about what that could mean for the DCEU going forward. You could have a lot of female leads coming up in 2019 and in the future, and then in Justice League Dark, they'll, I'm sure they'll be introducing Satana at some point as well, so there's even more. Exactly, and moving on to Warner Brothers Television, you know, we talked about Gotham and how they're bringing in the Scarecrow and stuff like that. Well, James, you were doing an interview with somebody from Gotham, and some breaking news that we broke on Twitter actually came to light. Yeah, when I was sitting in the press room, we were talking to executive producer John Stevens, and he gave us the, I don't think I've said this before, and I'm like, ooh, what could this be? Well, this is what it was, right from the press room. Check it out. For this year, we're bringing in one of my favorite newer villains. Uh, this is actually the first time I've seen this. It's been exclusive. Because um, uh, we're bringing in Professor Pig this year. 
And I've always loved Pig because he's just so demented and strange and gross and terrifying and funny, you know? So part of us this year, I was like, I was like, what, oh, I was like, well, our show's pretty violent and graphic. How can it get more violent and graphic? And so I was like, what character is out there that is more terrifying? And I think Pig is, maybe because he's a newer character, uh, feels more current to me in some ways, you know? Um, that doesn't have some of, like, the the baggage of, like, of, like, a character from the 60s might have, where you have to, like, re- revitalize him in a way. Pig, you can just kind of, like, bring in and he scares everybody, so... So there you go. Professor Pig is coming to Gotham. And Nick, the way this show's been going, it almost seems like a perfect fit, doesn't it? It does, because you're one thing that Gotham has shown to be, it's shown to be many things, but it's also been a show that's not afraid to push the envelope in terms of, really, it's villains in terms of what they do and how, in a sense, gory they can be. I mean, I know they start off with, like, Balloon Man, I believe, like, season one or two, and, you know, they progress through the years and through the seasons, but... Now you're bringing Professor Pig, you're bringing in, you know, full-fledged Scarecrow. Man, dude, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's going to be insane. It's going to be really, really insane, especially now because, you know, the first couple of seasons, they're probably still going to have these, or you know, because Falcone's still, still in the picture and stuff. They're going to have probably some mob stuff, but really, they're getting into that craziness, man, that craziness of that Batman mythos. Yeah, and we've actually gotten Sophia Falcone was cast as well recently for Gotham in this uh, in this upcoming season. So we know the so we know the Falcone family's not going anywhere. We know the whole Rachel Ghoul thing is going to be happening as well. So there's going to be a lot going on in the Gotham mythos. But it, one of the things that John Stevens also said a little bit later on was that you know we we like to pick villains that are going to fit with what we're going and with the direction that we're going. And I think that we see the direction that we're going. And right. It's a, it's a dark and violent one. But welcome to Gotham. Right, and I like that, you know, they're giving kind of characters, I mean, I, some people probably would disagree with me, but you're giving obscure characters like Professor Pig screen time, you know, whereas you probably would never seen Professor Pig in a movie, you know, the only time right. I've seen him outside of the comics was in Arkham Knight, because he was a mission that you had to play, so I mean, mm-hmm. that was the only time I've really seen him, and he's a crazy son of a bitch, so he's going to be a perfect fit in the Gotham universe. And he's been in some animated stuff too, but never for very long. So yeah, this will be very interesting to see how much of a spotlight that they shine on him. And he just works on this show so well, I think. So that's why I kind of freaked out when he said that it was going to be Professor Pig. I was really, really like, so you can, you can actually hear me. If you listen to the clip again, you can hear me in the background going, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. It was very exciting to hear. And, you know, staying within the Warner Brothers television universe, we're going to talk about Lucifer. And of course, season Last season ended with him waking up in the desert and he has his angel wings. And, you know, again, I covered the panel and they talked about something that was really interesting. A couple of things, actually. Uh, they were talking about how they might introduce some more biblical characters into this coming season. Also, of course, Trisha Helfer, who played, you know, Mom and Charlotte was on the panel. So we haven't seen the last of her. And she pretty much said that Charlotte right now. She doesn't know what she really wants. She doesn't know what her role is. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with her. Of course, we saw Lucifer kind of, you know, cut a hole in time and send her there, basically. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with her. But a character they're going to be building on a lot more this season. Of course, you have the thing with Lucifer and, you know, him having his wings back and stuff like that. But Dr. Linda, they said they're going to spend a good amount of time 
going in on her character. Because I got to say, man, after that last season, what she went through, yeah, they need to do that because uh, there seems to be more to her character than what they've let on. Yeah, and Rachel Harris was touching on that in the press room as well, and she was talking about how we're going to get more of Dr. Linda in the, in the, in the coming season this year. But she also said that we're going to find out a little bit about her past and how that's going to affect her character going forward as well. And, and I think people kind of fell in love with the relationship between her and Mays uh, mm-hmm. over the course of the show so far, and, and there, there's definitely going to be more of that as well. But I'm actually really excited to find out more about Dr. Linda because it seemed like I don't want to say she's been an also-ran character because she's definitely played a big role in, in a lot of things that happen in the show, but it's almost like you, you want more of her because she's been such an integral part in small places. You want them to open that up more and find out more about her because I mean, I think she's a fan favorite. Yeah, man. Of course, speaking of fan favorites, well, let's talk about Winona Earp a little bit because they announced, hey, you know, we're in the middle of season two right now, but they got greenlit for season three, man. And I got to tell you, I'm starting to see a pattern here with Winona because last year at Comic-Con, they got announced for season two. Now they got season three. So, hey, awesome job by Emily and company and Bo. And it's great, man. I'm happy for them. Yeah. And it's funny because this was the, remember last year, they didn't have episodes that they were running during Comic-Con, literally, I was sitting there in the hotel room on Friday night watching the new episode of Wine on Earp while I was prepping for the next day. So they actually have shows running during Comic-Con. And spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't watched the second season, by the way. But there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on where they're still trying to figure out things with dolls. And then, well, Winona is pregnant, so they're still trying to find out who the baby daddy is kind of thing. They kind of narrowed it down, but they're not quite sure. It's just very interesting what they've been able to do. And, of course, Emily was talking about how we're going to have someone that's pregnant that can still kick ass. And it's just there, there are so many things that they've done with this show that make fans just scream for more. That sci-fi, I think especially at the end of last season and what they've done so far in this season, have gone, we've got something. We need to make sure we lock this up. Can you imagine if there's a scene where Winona gives birth and the baby comes out with a mustache like Doc? Well, I mean, that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you just I'm don't know. Comes out with a hat and a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, I'm just saying. I will say, though, seeing Tim at, uh, at SDCC without the mustache, it, it was a little... It was like, dude, where's your mustache kind of thing, you know? Yeah, dude. I mean, it was shocking him clean-shaven, man. It, it, it was kind of freaky. Although I kind of let him walk the floor a little bit without people knowing who he was. So I think that Tim did kind of like that a little bit. Because, you know, Tim's in it for the comics, too. He wanted to see what was going on on the floor. So, but, I mean, <laughs> maybe, even... Maybe that's why he did it. Or Can you imagine if, like... He, oh, can you imagine, like, okay, the day of Comic-Con, he's like, well, how can I go incognito around the floor... I have an idea. So when he's shaving his mustache, he, Tim Rosen is the only man who could shave his facial hair and have bagpipes play Oh Danny Boy or some sort of funeral music in the background as he's shaving it. Well, friggin' Lapita Nuango apparently dressed up as the Pink Ranger. Yeah, I'm pretty, dude, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so nobody knew who she was either. <laughs> it just worked out for everybody, I guess, but... I mean, with Winona, I mean, especially with the way they've brought in some of the new characters and it just works and they just continue to evolve the show. And even the Way Hot storyline, that, that didn't get stale. They've, they've continued to evolve that in season two as well. So, I mean, well-deserved uh, season three renewal. I can't wait to see what the rest of this season has in store for sure. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. But coming up next... You know, James mentioned earlier on the show that he was at the Blizzard party and he got to talk to Jung, of course, from Blizzard and talked about Hearthstone. Also, 
We got an interview with the cast DC Superhero Girls. That's all coming up next. Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to me on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. San Diego Comic-Con 2017, talking about something that maybe you didn't think we'd be talking about at San Diego Comic-Con, because we're talking video games. As a matter of fact, we're here at the Blizzard Party with the Hearthstone game designers, Yong Wu. Yong, what's up, man? Welcome to Comic-Con. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm the lead producer on the team, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. So, what should fans be really excited about, about this new expansion? Yeah, you know, um, so for people who have been following uh, the Warcraft lore, uh, you know, we have a character uh, called the Lich King. And, you know, for people who haven't been following the lore at all, like, you know, the, the Lich King is really like the Darth Vader of, like, the Warcraft universe. And, you know, he's like the ultimate bad guy. He was like a good guy who became evil. And, you know, since he was introduced, in 2002 in Warcraft 3, he's been one of the most iconic villains in kind of like Blizzard storylines. So um, we're really excited to uh, kind of bring him into the Hearthstone universe uh, and uh, like introduce him to uh, players who are really excited about him, uh, who's been excited about him, and players who's never met him before. Um, and as part of that, uh, as we introduce, you know, like the, the kind of the ultimately evil character uh, in, in our universe, um, all of the nine heroes that players have been playing, um, you know, we're exploring like an alternate dimension where uh, they have been, uh, you know, uh, corrupted and then killed and then risen from the dead as their like undead selves. So um, we're really excited about that narrative. Um, I think it's a super cool story. Like whenever I look at any TV shows or comic books, I'm always excited about like the alternate universe things. Like, you know, if you look at like Superman or Batman, I always like, right, right, yeah, like yeah. Owlman and Ultraman and they're evil. You're like, oh my yeah. God. That's so cool, or you this know, could be like your Earth too, kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah exactly. You like you know, you have Data and like his evil brother's lore, and like right. that's exciting. Right, um, yeah. So for us, like we had tons of fun where we take our nine heroes, and that's like what happens to them uh, when they become evil. And an example of it is uh, we announced um, one of the hero cards. Um, so we our our hunter hero is Rexar, and he's a very like noble half orc hunter who is like you know there for the thrill of the hunt and uh, you know kind of that's his persona right um, but the uh, kind of the undeath corrupted version of himself he uh, you know in his undeath he he pursues the ultimate trophy so instead of just like hunting beasts he uh, takes two beasts uh, and you kind of choose these two beast cards and you jam them together and he creates like a monstrous zombie beast a nice. zombie nice. and then that becomes their custom card that you get to play so I think that kind of um, thematic exploration is like super exciting and uh, even if you're a new player um, when we release this expansion there'll be like free set of missions where uh, when you finish the first mission we're gonna give you one of these hero cards for free. Oh excellent. Yeah. yeah so you just get to explore right away and be like wow like I get to play with Owlman like that's yeah. exciting. <laughs> so now you talk about you talk about you guys have released what some of the 135 new cards are gonna be. What's the reaction from fans been like? Have there been some that fans seem to be more excited about than others? Like maybe the one you just mentioned. Give, give us a couple more. Yeah, I mean, so, so far, uh, what we learned in the past is that instead of uh, like slowly releasing some of the cards, like we, we're 
we're waiting more until we get very close to release and we show all of them. So, so far we've only shown really a handful of cards. Uh, one of the ones I mentioned is Rexar, and then we've also uh, kind of showed off a new uh, kind of new game mechanic called Lifesteal, which is very thematic with kind of Death Knight and Undeath. Uh, and the response has been extremely positive. Um, we're really excited for you know players who have been you know uh, really enjoying Hearthstone to to play the new expansion. We're really excited for people who have played Hearthstone in the past who have been taking a little bit of a break to come back because we really think you know especially with Lich King and uh, kind of this alternate universe exploration, it's like a really like fun time to come and revisit us. And if you're a new player. Um, especially with the new free missions and a lot of things we're doing to uh, make it welcoming for you to visit us, I think it would be a fantastic chance for people to check it out. Let's talk about the hero cards for a second. For anybody who might have some more questions about them or not really know, how similar are they to say, the quest cards that you've already had? Uh, I mean, they're, they're very different in that uh, quest cards were about setting a goal um, you know, earlier on in the gameplay, and then if you achieve that goal, you get a giant reward. Um, with the hero cards, it's more about um, you know surviving into the mid to late game, and then you can play this card, and then you transform into this hero, and then now you're like this ultimate badass bad guy, and then you get to you know defeat your enemy through that. So um, you know, mechanically it's different, uh, flavor-wise it's very different. Uh, I think it's going to be a really refreshing way to. Enjoy Hearthstone. We're talking to one of the producers of Hearthstone's Knights of the Frozen Throne expansion pack, Yong Wu. Now, Yong, there has been some chatter from fans on social media. I did want to ask you about it real, real, a little bit about maybe the hero cards. Are they going to be too powerful? Should fans be worried about that going forward? Yeah, we're very sensitive to that. Um, you know, uh, whenever we release a new expansion, our biggest uh, objective is to add more variety to. Um, people's gameplay. So, um, you know, whenever we release an expansion, the world we want to see is you get to enjoy some of the you know decks you've been playing in the past, but there are also new ones that you can experiment and explore. Maybe not all of them are going to be super powerful, but some are, and as you kind of explore and find those powerful decks, it's kind of part of the challenge in front of Hearthstone. So, um, you know, uh, we've discussed this in the past. We're very sensitive to, uh, I think, what some players might call power creep. We don't want to just release an expansion where we go, like, all your old cards are irrelevant. You need to use all the new cards. Um, you know, we're, our balance team definitely uh, operates in a way to make sure that the new cards um, kind of mix very well with what's already out there. Deck building is hugely important in gaming right now. And I used to see when we'd go to comic book shops a lot, and they'd have their game nights. You'd see people with binders and binders of cards and stuff like that, which is great because they love their games. But now you're bringing it with Hearthstone. You've kind of brought it to the digital age. So how is deck building still cool in the digital age? Because I think you guys are doing it right. Yeah, you know, when we started this whole journey four years ago, it's crazy to think that we've been, uh, you know, we've been working out for Hearthstone. Uh, Hearthstone's been out for four years. You know, it was really about, we love card games, but a lot of people are, like, intimidated by card games. They're like, oh, gosh, i got to carry those binders around, or, um, hey, the rules are too complicated. Like, there's too much text in the game. Like, they're numbers. Like, I am intimidated. That's my generation, so I'm, I'm all about that. I'm not scared by that at all. Yeah, 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 but even, I think even in 
our generation, I think there are a lot of players out there who really should be enjoying the game, but they never got to it because they're like scared by it, right? So our big focus was how do we bring our love for the card game because it's awesome, we have so much fun. It really is. Yeah, and bring it to more people. Earlier this year, we announced that we've uh, has, uh, we had over 70 million people play our game. So we really feel like we're able to hit some of our goals in terms of like lots, tons of people who've never played card game before now play card games, know card games, love them. They not only play Hearthstone but other card games. We think that's wonderful. Um, so uh, you know, I think huge part of the magic has been our philosophy that a game can be have complexity and depth without being complicated and overwhelming. Um, and as part of that, we do a lot of things for our visuals where everything feels very physical. So you don't carry like a binder around with you. There's something awesome about holding that card in your hand. And then sometimes a joke about how we like we open a booster bag and we like we smell the new cards. Right. Yeah. You know, we really try to um, like evoke that emotion digitally. So you know when you get a new card and you open a new pack, like the way it rises up to the screen and explodes, and you know the way you can like flip the card and move it around in a very physical way. All of that's a very conscious effort for us to um, make you feel that same joy that we felt playing with physical cards in our in our youth. Yeah. And what did it? What is it do you feel like other than that that Hearthstone brings to the table that some of these other tabletop games just don't bring? What's that a little, for something someone that's never played it before and is interested now? What is it that it's it's bringing to the table that that should make them go, "Wow, I should be playing this." Absolutely. So, uh, first of all, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Um, I love tabletop games. I love playing a lot of, you know, physical card games and board games as well. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest advantage of a game like Hearthstone is that uh, it can go with you wherever you want to be uh, at any time. Like uh, Hearthstone is available on iPhone, Android, so you can play it on the go. It's available on tablet or PC or Mac. You play it where you want to, whenever you want to, however you want to. And you know that's a huge advantage. Um, you know there are a lot of like card games I love, and there are a lot of board games I love. But if I want to get a game going, like all right, I got to call my friends. <laughs> yeah. I got to all show up. And there's something magical about that where you get together physically. Uh, and play together. Um, but Hearts, with Hearthstone, you can play with your friends or with strangers whenever you want. One thing I do want to say, though, is um, as much as you can play Hearthstone whenever and wherever and however you want, um, you know, we really like to go back to the root of all of this as well, which is uh, like you and I like sitting close like this, and what if we played Hearthstone together? Like, does that feel better than maybe you and I being remote and just right. playing through, you know, our phones. That's awesome that we can do that because we can do that whenever we want. Um, so, you know, for instance, we're at a fireside gathering right now. Um, it's uh, basically a program where we encourage players to physically get together and play Hearthstone together in, in a physical environment. And what's really important to us is like, sure, play Hearthstone, but you know, like, have a beer together and eat right, some pretzels right. and like, I don't know, talk about how the day went or how your job's going and maybe bring your dog and show them right, off. Right. You know. Um, so I think really with Hearthstone, you can get best of both worlds. Like engage with it on your commute. Uh, I don't know. Some people play on their bathroom breaks, whatever. I don't judge. You know, like they, they fit into your lifestyle. And then you know, uh, meet with other people, make new connections through things like Fireside, because um, we're really going to support this program. Um, like a lot of uh, gathering like this is happening all over the world right now, and uh, a lot of it's grassroots. Um, you know, Blizzard absolutely supports it. Um, so my dream is for years from now, like you could be playing Hearthstone 
you know, wherever you are, including if you want to get together with your friends or meet new people, that you just show up at a bar and there's a Farts gathering for you. On the flip side of that, you've actually added something back that fans, I think, have been wanting for a long time, and that's the single-player missions as well. So talk about that and how, because it, it seems like people are really excited about that coming back. Yeah, again, it, you know, we talk a lot about Hearthstone. It's like you can play it whenever you want, however you want. And, you know, one of the ways people like to enjoy Hearthstone is as a single-player experience. It's like, hey, I don't feel super competitive right now. Hey, like, sometimes when I play against other people, I feel some kind of anxiety. Uh, so the single-player missions, uh, we're releasing them for free with the release of uh, Knights of the Frozen Throne. And you'll get to basically uh, face the evil minions of the Lich King and the Lich King himself um, and, uh, and check it out at your own pace um, without worrying about, you know, playing against a person and losing to him. Have there been any, been any cards or characters over the past four years that just took off and you just sat there going, wow, I, I never thought in a million years that this character would be that popular? You know, I can think of a few. Um, and I say this because, uh, not because they're not cool, but I think because, like, uh, people's love for those characters have kind of, like, jumped to a whole whole new level. Uh, I mean, like, an example would be, like, Leno, uh, Reno Jackson, you know, or, or even Leroy Jenkins. There's some of these iconic cards that um, people have, like, really come to love that character, you know. And, Leroy uh, Jenkins is all over social media. It seems yeah. like still all the time. So. And it's obviously had its birth from... Um, kind of user-generated content involving World of Warcraft, but now that's kind of come back into our game, and that's become like like a kind of a social media uh, phenomenon in and of itself. And even characters like Reno Jackson, like you know, he does this thing where he's like a scoundrel, and like you play him, and if you meet certain conditions, like he gives all of your health back. Like it feels very cheaty. So he's like this cheat, and he's letting you cheat. And um, I think that really resonated with the players. And you know, if you go to like you know Twitter or Reddit or whatever, like there's like a lot of love for that character, and. Um, uh, I see a lot of that, and, and I think that's really exciting. So, doesn't come out until August, but you've got a big reveal coming up on Monday. <laughs> How exciting is that going to be when you finally reveal a little bit more information on some more of the cards that are going to be coming? Yeah, so in the upcoming weeks, uh, we're going to do uh, live streaming and a lot of card reveals. Uh, I am very excited about Monday, so... I don't know if your program goes out before Monday, but to your listeners, I really encourage them to tune in. It's going to be awesome. Um, can't say more because I don't want to spoil it, but I think it's going to be really worth tuning in. I want to talk about esports for a second to take things kind of outside. This is something that's really taken off. We've seen millions and billions of dollar deals being struck to watch esports on television, and I know you have your own esports team as well. So, what do you think the future holds for esports and Hearthstone with more? Experience? expansion packs coming. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you look at a lot of sports, traditional sports out there, um, you know, more people are watching it than necessarily playing it. Like, not everybody who watch, you know, football play football on a week-by-week week That's the truth. Basis. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I really imagine a future where, uh, you know, maybe you do play Hearthstone, and that's wonderful, but maybe you engage with Hearthstone by watching streamers, or maybe you watch, like, competitive Hearthstone the highest level through uh, Hearthstone Championship Tour, or maybe you root for your country through programs like Hearthstone Global Games. Um, I think any of these ways you enjoy Hearthstone, you know, I'm happy with, and it's like bringing joy to your life, and it's like another thing that you really 
really enjoy and connect with other other people through it. Uh, I think that's a big win for everybody. As a producer, what was your favorite part about working on Knights of the Frozen Throne as the process before release, when the process was still ongoing? Yeah, I mean, as a producer, we're in a unique position where um, we get to look at a big picture together with the rest of the team, like designers and artists and engineers, and really talk about like what is our dream for this expansion? Like, what is the coolest freaking like Knights of the Frozen Throne expansion we can make? Like, oh, you want to kill all the heroes and bring it back from the dead? Wait, you want to make a new card type called hero cards like we've never done that before is that even possible um, and we get to kind of have all that dream out on the table and then we get to work with the team to be like okay all right crazy designers like that's pretty insane it's like oh crazy artists like you want it to look like what I mean that sounds awesome but okay that sounds crazy uh, to sit down with them and be like okay you guys are all crazy I, it's a sort of expansion it's always like this like you guys are all crazy but here's how we're gonna make it real and and to make that plan and then execute and then like make see it come to life in our game like that's like I have the best freaking job in the world like, it's it's awesome well this is not something you hear very often but everybody's dying and it's a good thing <laughs> yeah everybody's we, dead but it's great <laughs> and we can't wait to get our hands on it in August we're gonna see more reveals as the weeks go on and make sure you check out their YouTube channel as well for the more hilarious videos they're gonna be coming up and we can't wait to see more. It's Yang Wu, producer for Hearthstone's Knights of the Frozen Throne. Thanks for taking some time with us. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me and to all your listeners. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. It's our recap of San Diego Comic-Con 2017. I'm James Witham. I was lucky enough when I was there to sit down with the cast and some of the members of the production crew from DC Superhero Girls Brain Drain Lego movie that's going to be coming out. First, I got a chance to talk to the voice of Supergirl, Anais Fairweather. Hear what she had to say. We're reading the description of this, and it seems like there's a lot of hijinks from the heroes in this particular movie. So talk about working on the flip side of that a little bit. I know that was really that's been really interesting. So I'm like, oh, it's it's like uh, we're more human in that way, right? It's like we're bringing in this like comedy to these superheroes and playing with some of their like. Um, I don't want to say weaknesses, but yeah, the hijinks of it. So um, it was really interesting going from, you know, doing like really powerful, like we're going to fight evil to getting to do a Lego movie where you're getting to bring in all this comedy and silliness and breaking the fourth wall and those winks to the audience and using the audience as another character. So I think with comedy, you're always, you're, you need the audience in a different way. Um, and so getting to have the audience be a character in it is, was really, really fun. Um, and again, for Supergirl's character, because she is so new and she has so many questions about the world and earth um, and getting to use that part of her personality to for comedy was really fun yeah next i get a chance to ask anais if there are any villains that you would like to voice in a future dc superhero girls movie talk about villains and doing different voices is there yeah. a voice that you haven't gotten to do yet that you're like oh i would so love to do that gosh i i mean catwoman has always been my favorite growing up um, in the Adam West, Adam West, I was like, why does that sound so weird coming out of my mouth? Um, <laughs> it's early. Um, I grew up watching, you know, these powerful women play Catwoman, and it was just 
so surreal because, you know, there aren't a lot of, that was kind of like the super, super woman, this, this, this force to be reckoned with that I sort of would grow up watching. So I feel like her voice would be so fun, her character, someone who's like, you know, um, sort of going to manipulate people and, um, and trick people. I mean, that's so fun to get to play both sides of someone who's kind of sneaky. So, um, yeah, maybe you guys could put the word out there or something. Um, I would like to do Catwoman. Duly noted. <laughs> yeah, duly noted. Great. <laughs> Next up, I get a chance to chat with screenwriter Jeremy Adams, and I asked him if there was a freedom to being able to write a Lego version of a DC Superhero Girls movie. As a writer, is there a certain freedom to that, though, where you're doing a Lego movie, it's yeah. going to be a little bit different, you kind of flip the script and feel like you can do your own thing, even though Shay has done so well with what she's done. Yeah. You can kind of do something that's a little offbeat, yeah. like them have, like the heroes having their own, you know, they can't remember what they had done yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. With brain drain. Well, what's great is uh, the people, the higher-ups, had told me they wanted to do a different take and um, so they encouraged me to kind of play toward my strengths which are which are like wacky you know I, I you know one of my favorite movies is like Big Trouble in Little China like I want that like <laughs> nice. that driving a lot of words really fast adventure and um, this allowed for that um, and as our first foray into it I, I think we we're kind of learning it too um, but it was great because everybody just responded so well to it and like I said, Todd Grimes, the director, he he came in, and you're always nervous as a writer, right? You turn in something, you're like, oh, please love me, you know, and, and everybody loves you, and, and then you're like, okay, here come the notes, and, you know, you're really worried. And his notes, and, and you're worried because you're like, oh, man, are these notes going to be bad? I really hope they're not bad. And then Todd's notes were like, let's put a joke here, and they were like super funny, and that's the best thing you can you can have as a writer is somebody that gets it and wants to do something more with it. And so I, I was lucky to work with these amazing people. They're really serious. Look at the credits. They're ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Next up, I get a chance to chat with the voice of Wonder Woman herself in DC Superhero Girls and a lot of other characters you love, too, Gray Griffin. And I asked her what it was like to be a mom in voicing a character and doing something that you would have to see over and over again that wouldn't drive parents nuts. I was going to ask you, because you're a mom, mm -hmm. and I'm a dad, and we both watch a lot of cartoons, I'm sure, so yeah. is that something that you kind of look for when you do a project like this and other projects that you've done? It's like, okay, this is great for the kids, but as an adult, I don't want to lose my mind watching this 75 times. <laughs> well, I, I will do anything that they pay me to do, <laughs> but what I choose to play for my kids, like, I won't even, I mean, even the kid music, I... I, I never play it for my kids. If, if it's not something that I would want to listen to, I don't play They're it. I only so play. Oh, I see. But the thing is, you can't get them started on it. My friend started my her kids on like the Wiggles or something, and then she had to listen to that all the time. And I was like, nope. I mean, my son, when he, my ten-year-old, when he, when he was like two, I was putting him in his car seat, and he was like, I, I want Johnny Cash. I, I want Johnny Cash. And I was trying to get him to say please. So I said, You want Johnny Cash? What? And he goes, I want Johnny Cash. Live at Folsom Prison? He <laughs> 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 didn't know what I was getting at. Like, what, is, oh, what record? I don't know. Let me think about it. Um, yeah, but it was just really Yeah, I only played music that I would want to listen to. Smart. So, yeah. Next up, I asked Gray what it was like to work with such an amazing cast on this movie. 
How fun is it to work with this cast in general, not just on this Brain Drain movie, but in DC Superhero Girls in general, because it seems like you've got a really good group. We have a great cast, and I love doing press events with them because I actually get to see them, but honestly, our schedules are so crazy, or I don't know, my, my schedule's kind of crazy, and I always work by myself. I don't think I've... I, uh, Kevin maybe, Michael Richardson said the same yeah, thing the other day. He's always, he's always, he's on like a million, zillion, I don't know how they book him at all. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've worked with Ana before the woman who plays Supergirl, but it was very briefly, and I hardly ever. It's usually by myself. So yeah, I wish I saw them more. Next up, I got to talk to the lovely and talented Tara Strong. Not only the voice of Harley Quinn, but in this movie, Poison Ivy as well. Let's see what she thinks about that. Harley's best friend is Poison Ivy, so you get a chance to voice her in DC Superhero Girl. So what's it kind of like to kind of play your own best friend now? Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's so funny. Like I remember one time I put on my Twitter. There's a really cute picture of. Harley and, and Batgirl like at each other's throats and I was like and you think you have an identity crisis <laughs> um, so this is fun because in this version Ivy's very shy and sweet and quiet and so at least like there's never a chance that the voices are gonna get confused anyways they're just so different that they're never it's never like a, a, a question of who's line you, it's automatic that you know that's more of an ivy line and and when they're arguing it's like easy because it's like hardly so loud and ivy so quiet so it's, <laughs> it's fun to play that back to back dc lego superhero girls brain drain might be different for some of the other characters but maybe not so much for harley so i'm going to ask tara strong about that this might not be so different of a project for you being Harley because it's brain drain and they they don't remember what they did and mm. apparently they were up to no good. But that's like a regular day at the beach for Harley. So yeah, was, she doesn't was remember it anything. Not <laughs> was it not different for you at all, or was not it really? Like, ah, it's another day with Harley. It's funny. It wasn't really different from an acting standpoint, especially from the series because it's just a continuation of the series in a much bigger picture. But um, it was interesting to watch it to kind of watch these characters that now we know to be good doing other things. And at first, I forgot. You know, when you do a voice for something and then you do all these other things and it's months or a year later that it's released, you forget. And so I was like, oh, why is Bumblebee doing that? Like, it took me a minute to remember that they were being mind-controlled, even though it's called mind-controlled. Um, um, so I think for me it was more like watching it was the surprise rather than acting it. Because for me it was just sort of these organic moments that happened. And, and then just seeing it later was like, oh, that's different. Which is funny because, you know, Harley is a bad girl now. Poison Ivy's bad now, so it's funny, but... Right. Tara Strong was talking about doing voices of characters for the love of the character, not necessarily for money. And if you follow her on Twitter and social media, you know how much she loves it. So how much does she slip into those voices? Let's find out. Well, you seem to just genuinely enjoy all of the roles that you do and you talk about the not caring about money thing and I think that kind of comes off because you always do these goofy Instagram videos and Twitter videos yeah. where you're doing your characters' voices like to your dogs and stuff yeah. like that. I love those. So does it just <laughs> organically you. come out of you oh, during the day? Oh, all the time. All the time. Those, ask those kids. I, it's non-stop voices. Like, I have no control. And it was the little one, if you saw my tweet, that's like, Mom, I really don't know what your real voice is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, poor kid. Finally, I get a chance to talk to producer Rick Morales and talking about how he was able to do something a little bit different with heroes that you know and recognize. You're actually turning things on their heads in this in brain drain because you've got these heroes that have suddenly woken up and realized they've done some things that they don't remember. So what was it like to kind of turn that on its ear a little bit and be able to do that with characters like Supergirl and Wonder Woman? <laughs> well, I think it was fun to kind of kind of play with them, you know, I mean, uh, um, to show 
well, what do they do when they when they go bad? You know, um, and uh, I think there's some there's some good fun to be to be had with that. Uh, so that was fun. I mean, I think just the interaction that these girls have, uh, uh, Supergirl, Batgirl, Wonder Woman, um, they're just fun to watch together. You know, the actresses um, are great. I, I love. Anaïs's uh, voice for Supergirl. Yes. You know, she's uh, she's just got this really great raspy quality to it, and she's you know she's amazing. Lego movies in general have enjoyed some pretty good popularity recently, so I asked Rick Morales about that, and if he was surprised by their popularity over the years. Somebody had said something about um, just a couple minutes ago the surprise at how quickly this DC Superhero Girls thing kind of blew up and kind of just became so popular. Do you feel that way about the Lego movies you all have been doing in general? Like, wow, I can't believe these things are so as well-received as they have been over the years. Well, you know, I guess I haven't really thought about it because I, since I started in, what was that, 2013 or 12, it's just been full steam ahead. But. Um, but it is pretty amazing that we've continued to do as many of these for as long as we as we've done them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it is pretty astounding, really, because I mean, you know, you get a uh, a series uh, for you know Cartoon Network or something like that, and you might go three seasons at if you, if you have a really good run, you know, and um, and here we are. Uh, I've been working on Lego stuff since you know, for four over four years now, so that's you know. It's a pretty decent run on these yeah. things. Yeah. And finally, I asked producer Rick Morales if there was any Lego movie that they haven't done yet that he'd love to do. Is there a Lego movie that hasn't been done yet that, you're, that your thoughts are going, I, how have you not done this yet or this set of characters yet? Um, <laughs> there always is. I mean, <laughs> there always is. And like I said, like it's always the one in front of you. You know, like that's the revelation. Like, wait, we haven't done this yet. It's so. You know, I, I can't talk about any of that because it may or may not be something I'm working uh-huh. on currently. There but, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, there's definitely stuff um, within the broader DC universe that hasn't been covered in Lego yet, even though we've done a bunch of these. And 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 some of it's like a head scratcher. Like, how did we not do that yet? What a couple of great interviews. I hope you both enjoyed it. But James, you know, you were at San Diego Comic-Con this year. So real quickly, what were some of your final impressions? Final impressions were not as many great cosplays as I thought. There were some really, really good ones. But, I mean, I just don't think that was a focus this year. I think people were just focused on being on the floor, enjoying themselves, hitting as many panels as possible, and seeing a lot of the great things and exclusives that were at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And it's definitely an experience that I'm going to remember forever. It was amazing. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to everybody at San Diego Comic Con for just giving us a wonderful experience. But hey, if you want more of us throughout the week, be sure to hit us up on social media. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. You can also find us on Twitter at downandnerdy757. You can find me on the Twitch, the Instagrams, and the Twitter at Merc with one arm. I'm at James A. Switham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Get all that information, see a whole bunch of photos and everything we had from San Diego Comic-Con at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pray safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.